I'm Jason Harmon, and this is API Intersection, where you'll get insights from experienced API practitioners to learn best practices on things like API design, governance, identity auth, versioning, and more. Welcome back to API Intersection. Uh, as always, your host here, Jason Harmon, CTO at Stoplight. And I'm joined today by Shane Hasty, uh, all the way on the other side of the world, I guess at the end of the summer there in New Zealand, right, Shane? <laughs> it is indeed coming into early autumn. Uh, Jason, thanks very much for having me. Absolutely. Um, so uh, Shane's done a bunch of things between sort of authoring and consulting and all sorts of stuff. So I guess, tell us a little bit about yourself. I don't think I can do a good job summarizing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, um, 40, 41 years in information technology now. I did a long, long time ago code in Assembler and COBOL on punch cards. Um, I do remember doing that. Sh fairly early in my career, shifted into working at, at at that stage, it was called end-user computing, working very closely with uh, with the customers, with the the people who needed the data, and making that available in in a self-service type way. Early dashboards or early uh, reporting tools and so forth, working uh, very very much on large mainframes. Um, then I was in the right place at the right time, and for the PC revolution. In about 1983-84, the company I was with, a large financial institution, uh, purchased the third personal computer, the third IBM PC in South Africa. I was, uh, I'm in New Zealand by birth, but I was living in South Africa at that stage. And they put it on my desk and said, see what we can do with this. So I was incredibly fortunate to get into that um, uh, desktop computing era right at the beginning. Ended up running my own business in South Africa for 10 years, oh, actually 15 years it went on for, selling airline back office technology, back office systems for small to medium-sized airlines, which involved traveling around large large parts of Africa to a lot of very small, very strange airports. But it was a, a, an interesting time and some, some great customers, some great experiences there. I'd also, even at that stage, was was very heavily focused on the the interface between customers, consumers, users, horrible term, and technology development, the people who are building the building the products that these that these consumers consume. Um, yeah, the only other domain where we talk about user is drug addiction. So there's just it's just something wrong here. And and the I feel like sadly I feel like there's a Tron joke in here somewhere. <laughs> User. Yeah. yeah. And when you hear a lot of technology folks talking about the user, there is a bit of a sneer in it. But they're not the users. They're our clients. They are our raison d'être. They're the, the people whose lives we impact by the products we make. And I think as a community, we need to get better at thinking about the impact on people's lives that we make, because the things we do have a huge ripple effect. So then came back to New Zealand in, in the mid-90s, settled in here, worked worked on, again, product development from an IT, IT product perspective, 
building products that we were selling and, and installing all around the world. Got a little bit burned out and tired and moved into a, a role of teaching what I used to do and still continuing to do more as a, as a consultant and, uh, and now an instructor. And I've been doing that for 15, nearly 20 years. And it's been, it's been good fun. Nice. See, I told you I couldn't have possibly summed it up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, one thing that I, you know, I, I was particularly excited about today is seeing that you've um, done quite a bit of work around kind of transformations at companies, mm -hmm. um, which certainly is a, a hot trend of failure, as I like to call it, over the last few years, in that most yep. people fail at this. <laughs> um, yep. You know, and obviously in the API community, you know, you can't have a real sort of digital transformation without APIs being at the core of it. And we've certainly heard from practitioners over and over again that the biggest challenge to these kind of larger company transformations is the culture change that goes with it. And I feel like, you know, this is an area that you're, uh, you know, as you just stated, have plenty of time in. Uh, so curious to hear, you know, kind of what are some of the high points that you look at for, you know, the signs that this transformation might just work if they're doing things right? The, the buzzword is a growth mindset. Does the organization as a whole have the, the cognitive capacity to consider new ways effectively? At a leadership level, are people curious or are they entrenched? You know, I've, I've worked with a number of organizations where the transformation uh, incentive is coming from the top down. The chief executive, somebody very senior, wants this. And very often, the, their direct reports understand the value of it. But it's almost uh, make them different as opposed to help us change and and any culture transformation has to be led from the top and driven from the bottom so it's a it's top down bottom up the we talk about the frozen middle they exist people whose careers career success has been about working in the old way and now we're asking them to change and often what the organization doesn't do is give, is put in place the the structures the incentives the the tools for these particularly the middle this middle management group in large organizations are the ones who really are are often left behind they they often feel threatened by the changes you know, people at the top know why they're doing it people at the bottom are excited about being able to work perhaps more collaboratively cross functionally but these people in the middle are actually threatened by this stuff and sometimes with good reason, you know, the um, large consulting firms come in and say, yeah, we're going to transform your organization. And as part of this, we'll give you a 30% uh, cost reduction. And the way they do that is by getting rid of large numbers of people. And typically it's in this middle, middle layer. So it's in their interests not to change. We have to find ways to make the change valuable for these people. You know, they're intelligent, responsible adults who genuinely care about the people that they look after, about the organization they're in, and about their own careers. So how do we position what needs to change in the transformation in ways that are going to be valuable for these people? And if we can do that, they become your strongest advocates. Yeah. If we get it wrong, you're going to hit that frozen middle and you're going to bounce. 
And sadly, the statistics tell us that 70% of these transformations, whether we're saying digital transformation, agile transformation, whatever, 70% of those fail. And that's a huge waste of human potential and a huge, huge waste of money. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. There's there's a couple of things, um, you know, from the API world, uh, when you were talking about, you know, the, the execs often, you say they know what they want to do, but it's like, what exactly it means quite often is like, well, I read somewhere that, you know, like do APIs, good things happen, right? Like let's transform and be an API driven platform because I read that in Harvard Business Journal. And it's like, yep. well, do you know what that means? Like, how is that going to change your business model? Like they didn't even think about those things a lot of times. So I, I certainly see that. And then uh, I couldn't help but but plug in one of my favorite quotes ever uh, from, you know, the, the uh, perhaps infamous uh, Grace Hopper, right? Most dangerous phrase in the language is we've always done it this way. Uh, mm -hmm. Which, you know, we certainly in working with our customers see this sort of thing like you have a pocket of the, the band of rebels, right? The resistance that's trying to change things. But it's like, you know, um, if you, I, I love your perspective that, you know, if bottom to top folks don't agree that it's time to change something, it's going to be hard to turn the corner. Yeah. Um, yeah. Very interesting. Um, from kind of a, let's say product development practice side of things, you know, are, are there kind of aspects there which, you know, certainly, I mean, an API is just another chunk of software, but, um, you know, are, are there sort of cultural facets there that you see uh, in the highs and lows? One of the biggest predictors of success in my mind is the ability to shift from silo-based thinking to value streams and products. So getting away for from, from project-based work where we're, uh, handing work off between different groups to true cross-functional end-to-end value streams. And by end-to-end, -end, I, I literally mean that the it's not it goes beyond the you build it, you run it. It's starting with the product initiation thinking all the way through to customer support and, and sales that says it, so that the value stream there, there is ownership across that whole value stream. That, in my mind, is the the big predictor of success. If we can get that, and this is, it's a structural shift, it's a cultural shift, it's a behavioral shift. There's a whole lot of of things that need to happen for this to to become possible to to shift to a culture of continuous value. If I can quote the subtitle of my book. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, you got the uh, the No Projects book out there that I, I learned about and yeah. uh, kind of yeah. reading up before the show. So that's on my list now. It seems interesting. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm curious, you described a whole lot of roles in there that, you know, this more pervasive ownership. I, I guess I'm curious, like, does that tend to kind of most change the product management role uh, to sort of have broader purview of those things and like how they're bringing things into the organization? Product management absolutely needs to change. Product management needs to actually become product management. In many organizations, the product manager is an order taker. Mm -hmm. The product owner is an assistant. Yeah. Um, if we're going to talk about owner, then they must own not just the product, but the revenue, the profits, the the costs so that they they truly understand 
this what this thing is and how it contributes to the organ to the organization so yeah product management widening and having that that bigger picture now ideally product managers truly understand the market they're in the um technology adoption life cycle where where is their product their target audience in that they need to understand the the market phases that their product is is working in as well they need to have at their fingertips the the various tools you know things like design thinking techniques and ideation tools and so forth but they also need to understand the the technical aspects of implementation they don't need to be experts at that level but they need to have access to experts that they trust and that work closely and collaboratively with them so the the interaction the this idea of a truly cross functional team who have all of the skills needed who collaborate effectively and can deliver value and can remove obstacles for themselves yeah it certainly reads like a a description of how to enable team autonomy yep yeah which i suppose is the the best outcome you hope for in those kinds of changes um interestingly just to, to you know drill in a little bit more on the product manager thing like in the api community we've seen a big rise in um I think kind of the one, just the idea of an API centric product manager, but more importantly than that is that they're, they're taking a more active role in designing the APIs themselves in mm -hmm. defining what the kind of taxonomy or grammar across the company is, or at least leading that in conjunction with engineering uh, leadership. But I, I'm particularly curious on this, like this idea that you, you should have a picture of the whole platform as you envision it to be in some sketch format before you really dive into any big investment in it. And I'm, I guess I'm curious, like, I know you like APRs aren't your thing per se, but like, is there a sort of an analog to that organizationally on how to paint that sort of bigger picture? Yeah. Yeah. But well, one level, what is the organization vision, but then what is the product vision? What will the change be in the world when this product is in the hands of many, many people? And it's having a clear, clear understanding of the why. Simon Sinek, start with why. Put your yeah. why right in the middle. If you've got a compelling why, the how and the what will figure themselves out. Mm -hmm. If you've got a group of highly educated, highly motivated, cross-functional people who understand why we're doing what we're trying to do, they've got access to the tools, they've got the skills, they will figure this out. <laughs> yeah. We're in developers, testers. These are people who are professional soft, uh, problem solvers. Absolutely. Give them a good problem. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, it's like a thing we say in, in product management a lot, as you know, especially in agile, right? Is like, what's the story? But somehow people yeah. look at that as like, you know, give me a list of requirements. But it's like, yeah. You know, in my book, no. I'm like, if you don't write a detailed story, I don't care. Land the story, right? Like, why yeah. is this compelling? Why is it exciting? Why do we believe this is going to matter for customers, right? Um, I think what's made harder in the API space is it's a headless thing, right? Yeah. So quite often, you know, we see like um, techniques like business capability modeling, trying mm -hmm. to sort of create this picture of here's all the things that we do as a company. 
which, you know, in my experience is often enlightening for executives. <laughs> They're like, mm-hmm. you know, we have a vague <laughs> idea of what we do. We know how we make money roughly. But, yep. you know, the, yep. the, the plumbing of all that is like a mystery, mm-hmm. right? We have to trust engineering mm-hmm. and they feels like they're always lying. So I, I guess I'm curious, that sort of business capability view, is that something that you've seen in, as part of these transformations? Yeah, certainly offers? business capabilities, but also really important to think deeply about the, you're right, APIs are headless. There are still customers. That's right. What is the impact we're going to make on the lives of these customers yep. through the availability of the API? Mm-hmm. And if we can't, figure that out we're just never going to solve the right problem and what's the value proposition and tools like the value proposition canvas uh, Mm -hmm. really useful because there's no need for a user interface in the value proposition Mm -hmm. it's what is the what is the customer problem what is the customer's job to be done is another one of those tools that (coughs) will help us understand the the needs. How will we measure success? Mm-hmm. How will we know that that thing has worked for this customer? How will they? T- how will they tell us what are the uh, the metrics? Is it is it the pirate metrics? Is it OKRs? Whatever. But do we have a clear understanding of how will we measure success? What are the quality elements that are going to matter? What are the ethical elements? Yeah, it's funny. Um, I, I think the thing I've probably said the most over the years when people go, you know, how do how do we manage APIs as products? Manage the product. It's just another product, right? It just yeah. looks, smells, feels a little different, and it has quirky customers, <laughs> right? They're, they're developers. <laughs> they're a little, uh, you know, a, yeah. a little tricky to get on your side, but once you get there, you know, it can really grow fast. Um, but yeah, don't forget the fundamentals for sure. People sometimes go, what's the success measure? Well, did people call it a lot? Well, what does that matter? That might just be costing you a lot of network, uh, yeah. you know, cloud yeah. cost or something, right? Like, did it actually make you any money or did it have some positive network effect or whatever? Yeah. yeah. It, it, there's this weird thing that I, I think, you know, we certainly see it a lot. I've seen it a lot in my career helping with these sort of transformational efforts is this like you have sort of the, the technology strategy, that folks are looking, and I call this like the the MIT school of thought. It's like, how do we create this distributed modular system with reusable things? And engineer types go, yeah, of course, like that's just duh, let's dry things up, right? But then on the business side, sometimes it's like, if we do API stuff, then we can transform into a marketplace. And let's think about how, you know, marketplace dynamics and network effects and all that stuff works. And then when you put those strategies together, it's just like, they're two different things and no one talked about how they're going to fit together. So I'm curious if you see this kind of like disconnect between sort of technology and, and business strategy and these things. Constantly, sadly. Yeah. Um, and part of it is the structure of our organizations because the incentives are different. The reporting lines are different and they, and they come together up at the top here somewhere, but the people that people down the bottom haven't had those conversations. So, the way to overcome it sounds trite. Have the conversations. <laughs> yeah. Get all of the people in the room or on the on the call and make sure that the the why is well communicated and then get the different stakeholder groups from technologists to customer support to sales to marketing 
to um, even things like HR and finance, get them all in the same room and talking about what would it mean to us to do this? What are the potentials? And then prioritize. Yeah. What's the first small step? What's the experiments we can run that are going to tell us whether we can even do this as an organization? Yeah, it definitely Is resonates. It? Like, you know, in what we do at Stoplight, it's like we're we're helping folks like design something before they, they actually implement it, right? Because that's, you know, good. Uh, but we often say like left of us is probably a marker board with a small group of people who have great influence, ignore the org chart, <laughs> yeah. right? That's what's going to produce great design. Um, and I, I feel like that's a part too that folks fall into is trying to envision the future in today's siloed constraints rather than yeah. get the people who have broad influence, domain knowledge, and a passion for the subject uh, and just have them talk. <laughs> I'm with you. It sounds trite sometimes, but yep. we hear it over yep. and over again from um, mm -hmm. sort of API-centric consulting groups that, yeah, we get 10 of the right people in the room and we don't even leave with anything. It's just a marker board picture and it just sparks all kinds of stuff, right? Um, yep. So yeah, I couldn't, couldn't agree more on what we see on that side too. Um, I'm going to totally change gears here. And it's uh, yeah. it, this is um, more just in in gathering up sort of some details on you uh, before the show, there was one thing that you sort of shared with us that software is a creative art more than a mechanic process. And I just got to tell you, it's like music to my ears, but you like, tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, I've been involved and in writing code since 1976. I wrote my first piece of code. I was at high school. The school had a teletype terminal into an Olivetti mainframe, and I wrote code that was recorded on paper tape, and then you ran it through this paper tape reader. So it was that old technology, but I was I, I wrote code. And, and I've continued writing code uh, up until about 2017. So I'm not absolutely current in terms of code writing, but I've seen it, and I, I work with technologists all the time. And what I see is that these are highly, highly creative people. But the way they express their creativity is through the discipline of code. The, the beauty of well-written programs. It's, it's amazing. It's, it's something. And what's really interesting, um, you know, you've got things like uh, Copilot now, where an API, uh, sorry, not an API, where an AI tool is generating stuff. But that's great because it's taking away the mundane things. Mm -hmm. What that does is it frees up the creative mind of the programmer to really build that, that piece of art. Is a well-written piece of code that solves a user problem, that solves a customer problem, that, ma that makes an impact in the world is a thing of absolute beauty. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. You know, I, I was just kind of explaining simple terms to folks because I'll say like, yeah, developers, designers, whatever, like the creative disciplines. And they're like, whoa, 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 we are computer scientists. And it's like, let me ask you this. If I, if I grab 10 engineers and I give you a problem to solve, do you think I'll get any of the same solution out of those 10? I mean, assuming it's not like, you know, add one and one, right? Anything with any complexity, let me get 10 solutions. 
take like a 12 solutions at least. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> 14 POCs and <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I guess I'm but curious. Even if, uh, if we go to the definition of engineering, mm. engineering is the creative application of science for the benefit of humanity. It's the creativity. Now, there is a science. There is a science sure. to computer science. Sure. We've, we've got those, those scientific rules we can build on. But it's the, it's the creative application of that science that makes change in the world. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because we look a lot at like the, the discipline of user experience and kind of mm -hmm. what it's really become over the last you know, 20, 25 years and trying to look at, at designing something that doesn't have exactly like it's kind of a human interface but it's kind of a machine interface with apis mm -hmm. and yeah. um trying to think about this sort of you know developer experience as being a, an emerging mm -hmm. discipline too but if i looked at, at user experience i'd say there is absolutely science in that work right yeah. any good user experience designer isn't going to tell you i did this because it felt good right it's like no it's data backed it's been researched it's been surveyed right so i guess i'm curious like do you see this sort of uh the the designing things for developers is sort of a, in some ways, a weak spot, broadly speaking, because of the way that this sort of scientist oriented mentality is taught. I think there's a definite gap. Um, in On InfoQ, we've been doing a lot of um, publishing quite a lot of stuff. And at QCon, there have been another number of uh, conferences or uh, talks about the developer experience and we're seeing this coming out over the, probably the last four years there's this this emphasis on developer experience and removing friction in the development process and making things easier because if we remove those distractions the creativity can come through mm -hmm. if you my wife is an artist she did the paintings that are behind me and the carving if she's going to be creative she needs a quiet space she needs uninterrupted time. Nothing is different to the developer who's yeah. trying to figure out how to solve a difficult technical problem. Yeah. They need the quiet space. Yeah, no, they need no, number one developer productivity hack: check their calendar. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, tell them yep. they're telling yep. there's meetings they can skip. <laughs> yeah, yeah, with you. All right. Uh, well. I think we, I feel like we've covered uh, the edge of the edges of this pretty well. This is a huge topic uh, and trying to do it in uh, a bite-sized chunk here is difficult, but uh, any sort of, you know, closing thoughts or, uh, you know, what I usually kind of ask folks here is like, you know, for those who haven't gone down this road, there's a lot of things we mentioned, a lot, you know, it could sound really complex and intimidating. Like, how do you get the ball rolling? You know, where do you get started? Oof. <laughs> Okay, I, I want to do the shameless, shameless self-promotion and say that there's a book by Shane Hasty and Evan Laybourne, uh, Hash No Projects. It's available as a free download from InfoQ, or you can get the dead free version on Amazon. It's so that that gives our philosophy, I suppose you could say, around around this the the why of moving to value streams is is a big part of that, and really one of the biggest shifts, the 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 most. I think the, one of the most valuable shifts you can make is that starting to to at least think and work in in the collaborative cross-functional value stream way. Even if the organization is not, form these... We call them band of rebels. 
Yeah. <laughs> Gang of rebels. Thank you. Beautiful <laughs> way of putting it. And, and just figure out how to, to do that effectively. And then genuinely start to think about what is the impact that we make on the world? What is the impact we want to make on the world? And how can we do that? And I want to put in an ethical and safe way. Mm -hmm. It's funny. It occurs to me. One of the things that we've heard quite a few times when asked this question on folks that are, are in that kind of API, you know, core of this transformation in a lot of places is um, start with empathy. And I think that's really across the course of our discussion what you're saying, right? Yeah. Is like treat those people that you work with like human beings. That's a good start. <laughs> but also remember that the customers using these things are humans too, right? And yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I think I'm with you that like the craftsman's mindset, I would say like, if I'm going to make a chair and give it to somebody, I dream that that person will give that chair to their children, right? Yeah. That it has a long lasting impact about something they really care for. Um, so yeah, uh, start with empathy. I love it. Perfect. Shane, thanks so much for sharing all your experience with us. We really appreciate it. And uh, just thanks. Jason, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for listening. If you have a question you want to ask, look in the description of whichever platform you're viewing or listening on, and there should be a link there so you can go submit a question and we'll do our best to find out the right answer for you. API Intersection podcast listeners are invited to sign up for Stoplight and save up to $650. Use the code Intersection10 to get 10% off a new subscription to Stoplight Platform Starter or Pro. Take a look at this episode's description for more details.